This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. Colorado Springs, 1899. The local citizens were going about their days in a place full of people yet to be exposed to the strange and electrifying world of a man like no other in history. On the morning of May 15th, the local paper, the Evening Telegraph, read as follows. Nikola Tesla will wire to France, the wizard of electricity in city at noon, and will carry on extensive experiments in connection to wireless telegraphy and upper atmosphere. By this time, the war of the currents between Thomas Edison's DC and Nikola Tesla's AC had become an afterthought in the mind of Tesla. He was on to bigger and more powerful things. By 1899, Nikola Tesla had already established himself as both a genius and a madman in the eyes of his peers around the world. His ideas often carried with them an air of the impossible, of something far beyond science, into a realm of new energies and unfathomable possibilities. With Tesla, being dubbed a wizard was as accurate as one could describe such an esoteric man something the people of Colorado Springs would discover in quite an electrifying way. Through his work in Colorado Springs, Tesla had managed to produce his very own lightning, reaching as far away as 135 feet, with thunder being heard over 15 miles away. People walking along the street jumped and ran in fear as sparks would appear bouncing between their feet. A nearby stable gate broke loose and sent horses running from their stalls, terrified at the electric shocks being felt through their metal shoes. Needless to say, Tesla quickly wore out his welcome in Colorado Springs. Although he would only last in Colorado for a short six months, and his work would be temporarily cut short, Tesla would always continue on with his research work that was often kept secret from the outside world, sometimes making claims about his inventions without actually providing evidence. Despite this, his credentials as an inventor led him to be watched intensely by the US government and other states as well, waiting to see if indeed Nikola Tesla was on the verge of something incredible, something powerful. And on his death in January 1943, his files and notes were quickly seized by government officials. The question is, did they find it all? Indeed, the life of Nikola Tesla was characterized by his strange and esoteric ideas. His work has led him to be associated with numerous conspiracy theories and bizarre events. From the possibility of contact with extraterrestrials, to inventing a functional particle beam, otherwise dubbed the Death Ray. Tesla is truly a man of a million myths. Join us on Into the Portal as we team up with a Dash of Science podcast for a look into an especially strange man and the myths that follow him, Nikola Tesla.
Hello, and welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we're back. We are back indeed. A special guest this evening. Yeah. Uh, but before we get into that, we are going to do some iTunes reviews. Yeah. Because you guys are so awesome. And yeah, we've got a whole bunch of new ones. And yeah, did you want to go first, Andrew? Um, well, actually, as a matter of fact, my review is mm-hmm. a Facebook review. Oh, there you go. So it's always nice to get reviews in different places, and not, not everybody has an iTunes account, so that's totally fine. But this mm. one is from Ashley Marlowe, and it reads, I love this podcast with two exclamation marks. <laughs> it is a mix of history, paranormal, and theories. If you like aliens, shipwrecks, airplane disappearances, and humanoid sightings, then oh boy, this is the one for you. If this podcast stops, I'll be very sad. Oh, that's nice to hear. Please keep making episodes. It gets my paranormal brain juices flowing. Hashtag into the portal. (laughs) Thank you so much, Ashley. We really appreciate that. That's That's a really sweet review. Love that one. Um, I had a couple, yeah, from the iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Um, So the first one came from WI Appraiser, and it was a five star. He says, gifted storytelling. I look forward to every new episode of this podcast, but particularly the ones related to mythology, as the hosts present them in such a beautiful, (laughs) engaging way. I highly recommend this podcast. It is well worth a listen. Nice. Thank you. Sweet. WI Appraiser. I wonder (laughs) what that means, WI. I appraise is something. Yeah. If there's another W, it'd be like World War One appraiser. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The places my brain goes. Um, oh, goodness. There was also one more from another podcast, uh, Tannis Justice. And they gave us a five star as well. It was, um, they say, it's rad and interesting. This became one of my favorites fast. The stories are good and the chemistry between Am- Andrew and Amber is great. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Amber's laugh is adorable, too. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you always hate your laugh so much, yeah. so that's actually uh, I really do hate it. But anyways, uh, and let me say here, um, they research their subjects pretty good and have enough fun to keep you coming back. Wow. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. Yeah, we really appreciate all the reviews, you guys. And um, yeah, yeah, it just makes our day when we see them. So yeah, keep if, them coming. Yeah, keep them coming in. And we'll always <laughs> shout you out all the time. All the time. <laughs> All right, so we have a very special guest this evening, and uh, we've been waiting to do this for a little while, actually. It's kind of been sort of a long time coming, mm-hmm. but we are very happy to welcome Chris Burkine. Am I pronouncing that correctly? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, and actually, uh, it is probably the worst pronunciation I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, man, how do you pronounce your last name? Uh, it's, it's, pr- it's pronounced Birkenbein. Birkenbein. Oh, okay. I think I just misspelt it then. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Might have missed a syllable in there. Oh man, totally did. Yeah, you totally. No, it it gets mispronounced all the time. That's not the problem. It was actually rather humorous. That is classic. That is very classic, Andrew McKay. That's for sure. (laughs) No, my man, we are super stoked to have you on the show. So this is uh, Chris from a Dash of Science podcast. So yeah, welcome to Into the Portal, man. And Mm -hmm. uh, if you could just uh, take a second to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and about a Dash of Science, that would be awesome. Uh, sure. First, thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate it. I've been listening to yeah. your show now for a little while. Uh, I really enjoy the stuff that you guys do. Uh, it's a lot of energy that you guys bring to it, and that's always great to listen to. Thanks, uh, man. So I am the host of Adasha Science. Adasha Science is a kind of... it. It does heavy science in a light science sort of way is how I like to express it, right? So we can talk about some pretty deep scientific things, but we try and bring it down to a level that you don't have to have any background in the subject to understand. And we kind of jump back and forth between things that are commonly misunderstood to things that maybe people haven't heard of before. Uh, so it, it's got a, it's kind of nice all around thing. We bring in experts from field, from academia, uh, you know, researchers, scientists, engineers, 
historians, anybody I can find really who's willing to come on the show and talk about something that I think would be interesting. So uh, I've been doing it for a couple of months now. Uh, it's my first uh, uh, kind of path into a non-comedy, non-mainstream, I guess, genre of podcasting. So right. I'm really hoping that it goes well. Yeah, well, you're doing an awesome job so yeah. far, man. We really are. We've been digging it. And uh, obviously, the most recent episodes were gripping for us because here we mm-hmm. are and we are doing, of course, we should probably introduce the topic. <laughs> we probably should. Tonight, we will be discussing none other than the infamous Nikola Tesla. Yeah. And for a full history and biography and a lot of fun facts that you might not know, go over to Dash of Science podcast because Chris has done two parts and I believe you're releasing a third too, correct? Yeah, uh, the, the third one came out actually Monday, so... Oh, yeah, awesome. Parts, there you right? go. All right. So three parts. So yeah, if you want to get your fix on Nikola Tesla, I would head over there first and then maybe continue listening to this after because we're kind of getting into the wacko weird side of Nikola Tesla, I would yeah. say. A yeah. little bit of the conspiracy theories, a lot of the myths, the legends, uh, little known facts again. Yeah. But yeah, we're gonna get into some weird stuff. I mean not that his <laughs> his not that his general life was uh like not weird like he was obviously you know people know of him as obviously being this eccentric guy i mean chris when you were doing your initial research for the for the first three parts that you know people will go back and listen to before this one what you know what struck you the most i mean what what stood out to you you know i knew a lot about tesla to begin with obviously that's why i wanted to do it but even in my research to get kind of a full in-depth uh uh kind of view of him i learned so much about him and honestly the most amazing thing I think that I found out about him or that intrigued me the most is kind of the, it's a little mundane considering everything else that, you know, there is about him, but it's essentially his change in personality from the time that he was a kid until the time that he, that he died. I mean, he was very, uh, an interesting character. I would, I would place him as uh, a Sheldon like character from big bang Theory, <laughs> uh, when he yeah. was a child. Uh, and then he grew into kind of a socialite butterfly in in his you know mid twenties. Shortly after the the AC stuff with Edison, when when he was doing that, he was at all the parties, you know, reciting poetry from memory in seven different languages. Like he was the guy to have at your party. And then he just kind of went into mad scientist mode, uh, you know, locked away in his laboratories doing stuff. And then kind of a sad hermit that everybody forgot about, and he just kind of sat by himself eating Nabisco crackers and, and milk at the end of his life, <laughs> right? pigeons. I mean, yeah, the, just those are chilling like, in some New York hotels. Yeah, there's like four different personalities in one. I find that really interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Do you think that might have had something to do with the fact that he was shocking himself? <laughs> you know, it's hard to say. Did he cause some sort of mental issues by shocking himself, or did those already exist to begin with, and that's why he mm. was shocking himself? Like, yeah, yeah, that's... It's a chicken it's and the egg situation, tell, yeah. man. I, I am pretty sure, though, with uh, everything that I read, I, I I think he definitely had OCD, but I'm pretty sure he was on the spectrum. Um, a little autistic, maybe. Uh, and, uh, just some of his behaviorisms, the way that he speaks, his kind of no filter. I, I definitely think he was on, on the autistic spectrum a little bit. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned that. Something to do with, like, yeah, it might have been Asperger's, something along yeah, those lines. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Uh, one of the fun kind of stories that, that I told was about uh, his aunts. I guess his aunts were 
uh, not very attractive, and his mother pinned him down and asked, you know, which one of your aunts is the more beautiful one? And his response was, oh, well, this one isn't as ugly as the other one. <laughs> you know, and he was like six or seven at the time, right? That's just a very classical no filter. <laughs> yeah, 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 that, yeah, that's bad. <laughs> the last thing you need to that's say. That's priceless, though, coming from a six-year-old. Yep. Oh, that's, yeah. That's great. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, like, we're, we're going to be getting into some of the conspiracy theories. There's a few other things I think we I wanted to touch on kind of before we, mm-hmm. we jump right into some of the, the crazy things. I feel like we should go from, like, least crazy to most crazy. I think so, too. Yeah, I think so, too. Kind of work people into it. I had a fun fact it. for you, You'll though, Chris. Away. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so, you know, in your first part, Chris, you were talking about how um, you weren't sure. Like, obviously, Tesla was born at midnight, Mm-hmm. And you were saying you weren't sure if it was the 9th, 10th or the 10th, 11th that he was born on at yep. midnight. Actually, we were watching a documentary the other day and they were reading out part of his memoir. And he said right in the memoir, he said it was the 9th, 10th. Oh, mystery yeah. solved. Good detective know, right? work. <laughs> Good accidental so detective work. <laughs> exactly. That's the only kind of detective work that right? we really excel at. <laughs> The kind we're sitting on the couch watching movies. That's the best kind of detective work. Armchair detective. It's awesome. Anything that involves snacks, I'm I'm in for. There you go. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, he's yeah. That's like, but it's still kind of a quirky fact. You know what I mean? It's just like he. Everything about this guy from the very beginning, like like yeah, from when he was a little kid all the way through. It's just like this kind of. Very pro- pro- prodigal. I'm yeah, almost. Right. I feel uh, like yeah. if you think mm-hmm. about it, he kind of had the same start as uh, Daenerys from Game of Thrones, right? Only he kind of went more tragic than she. I don't know. <laughs> not that her life wasn't tragic, but uh, <laughs> you know, the the Stormborn, Child of the Storm, Lightning Storms, everything, and and being right. like mm-hmm. the father of electricity, almost with Edison. Like it's uh, yeah, it's interesting. Of course, we got to keep in mind though that almost everything we know about his life comes from his own works and his own writing so mm. you know how much of that is uh, gotta take it yeah is. grain of salt for sure i mean the other thing that we wanted to ask you that we thought was kind of important before jumping into is this the fact that like tesla has kind of had this resurgence in popular culture right like he kind mm-hmm. of was off the radar for a long time after he passed away and you know we're up in canada you're down in the u.s and we we're just kind of wondering like what sort of exposure you had to tesla growing up and if I mean, it's not really taught in he's he's not really taught about in schools, at least not where we're from. That's no, for sure. he's he's really not. And actually, my first introduction to Nikola Tesla was actually uh, from my father. I was in seventh grade, and we were supposed to be doing uh, research on you know engineers and scientists in history, and for a presentation. And you know, everybody's like Edison or Curie or you know all these more mm. well known people. And my dad's like, oh, you should do Tesla. Like who's that? Well, that's a good question. Very Go cool. find out. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that was my introduction. Like, you don't really hear anything. You're right because he doesn't get taught, and it's really sad. Uh, I mean, in my podcast, I go through all the actual factual stuff on all that stuff. But uh, uh, so we all kind of know about like uh, the Tesla ball, right, and the Tesla mm-hmm. coil. Mm-hmm. are pretty much the two things that most people know what they are. They don't know what they're for other than playing with. <laughs> right. But, for those uh, out there who are listening that don't know what the Tesla coil is, could you just try to give a brief ex- explanation of what that is? Sure. Well, there, there's kind of two things. There's a Tesla ball and the Tesla coil. The Tesla ball, if you think of the thing that they sell at the, the, the store that's got the glass ball and you see the electricity in it and you put your hands on it and the electricity mm-hmm. kind of touches your finger, that's the Tesla ball. Uh, the Tesla coil... 
Uh, it's essentially a very large device that's got a kind of dome or a uh, toroid at the top, donut shape that's got electricity that's shooting off of it. That's what it looks like. And a lot of people, you'll see it in like a Chris Angel or I think David Blaine, they'll do it. They'll go mm-hmm. out there with the, the the chain link or the Faraday cage around them and have lightning pass through them and kind of do that thing. That's a, that's a Tesla coil. So that's what they right. look like, and that's what you mostly see them in popular culture. Uh, if you're asking what they're really for, uh, mostly at this point it's educational tools, but it's actually part of a transmitter for wireless uh, radio. It's part of uh, the wireless okay. revolution back in the right. pre-1920s. Very cool. Yeah, it was, yeah it's, it's kind of crazy that he was, I mean, the whole thing with Marconi and the, uh, yeah, the invention mm. of radio. I mean, mm-hmm. we're like, again, for those listening, I mean, if you want to get the real history on Tesla, go back and listen to the first three yeah. parts on Dash of Science, because this is all about the madness right. um, and the craziness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's funny, though. It's like most people that we talk to, like that aren't necessarily into the same stuff that we are. It's like everybody just knows Tesla from Elon Musk. Right. And, and or yeah. the prestige <laughs> and they and they don't know if it's a real person or not mm-hmm. or how um, much of it's real. I actually got that question when I told somebody I was doing a three part role is actually really two part. So my three halves of my two part uh, on Tesla, <laughs> like you can do two hours on the Tesla vehicle. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. See, this is why I have to do this episode. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. It kind of caught me off guard, I have to say, just going back to the prestige before we move on, because we just watched that again before Mm -hmm. uh, doing this episode, because we had to. And I had seen it before. I had no idea that that was David Bowie playing Nikola Tesla. We actually just went through that uh, ourselves. Uh, Carrie, who was co-hosting that with me, uh, I had just read it like two days before. I'd had seen it a couple of times. Again, just like you. Because if I'm going to find somebody to play uh, Tesla, David Bowie is not who would come to mind because he's not an actor. But man, did he do a great job of that character. Oh, really good job. Yeah, he was phenomenal. And all you had to do was put a mustache on him and he looked nice. Nothing like David Bowie. I know. Like, that's it. He could have been wearing his Ziggy Stardust whatever outfit. You just put a mustache on, he's a different person. Mm-hmm. It's the, <laughs> the only thing know. that you get really tell is a little bit of mannerism and, of course, is his eye color. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Indeed. Definitely. Yeah. So you had asked yeah. a question earlier about kind of how Tesla has come back into kind of popular culture. Uh, and I really think he's kind of come back in the, the sort of conspiracy era, which we kind of talked to. But I think... I think I kind of know why he's so, I guess, magnetic for that type of attention. And I think, I mean, one we talked about earlier, his personality, right? Uh, But he's just perpetually taken advantage of and screwed over by, like, everybody. He's brilliant way before his time. I mean, some of the stuff that he kind of touched on but didn't push out there didn't actually get into the public eye until decades later. Yeah. And then, of course, he's got a documented history of not you know, getting his patents, not commercializing things and other people getting credit for him. So who knows how much he actually invented or, or worked on that we don't know about. So right. Yeah. I think those kind of lead a good basis for conspiracy theorists to kind of latch onto and pull things out. Yeah, no oh, doubt. Definitely. And obviously kind of the way his life sort of ended definitely mm-hmm. adds to that with uh, yeah. there being potentially boxes of notes and, you know, things left oh, things behind. Taken things taken from his apartment. Yep. Uh, the microfilms that were supposedly um, taken of his papers by the right. U.S. government. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they stuff. were stored away somewhere in a secret project and never, never recovered. <laughs> <laughs> like, what happened to them, man? <laughs> All right, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Oh, we are. I yes, think we yes, should probably yes. start with, like we said, we were going to go from least crazy. Crazy to, to crazy. 
Although you could argue that this is kind of a crazy idea, at least from a capitalist perspective, which is probably why his funding got cut. And that was his world wireless system. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to start off talking about that because the premise itself, I suppose, isn't all that crazy um, in terms of what he was working on. It's just the idea of providing this wireless energy and harnessing the power of the earth. Can you just, we're going to talk about it, but can you intro that a little bit for us, Chris? Sure. So the idea of the world wireless system is essentially that you build a giant uh, Tesla coil transformer transmitter on top of the earth in one location, and you're creating these uh, standing waves, terrestrial standing waves that he discovered in Colorado Springs, and you're forcing them into the earth. It kind of, if you think of it like you're pumping air into a ball, that air pressure is felt equally on the entire surface of that ball. So too right. was his thinking that you could feel that, that voltage essentially all over and you could just tap in and pull that out. So that's kind of the basic idea of, of what he was thinking. Uh, there are some requirements for that to work. Uh, some assumptions he made that weren't exactly true and some requirements that uh, don't actually match how physics works or at least how we understand it. But uh, hmm. I, I don't know. What do you, what do you guys have to say on it? Well, go ahead, Amber. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just take that. Oh, you looked like you were about to say something. No, no, I was just thinking about that. And just the idea of, yeah, like you said, Andrew, how his funding got cut, because essentially he was coming up with this idea in a capitalist society. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. therefore doesn't really match. And obviously, if you're not funding yourself, um, kind of hard to find those people. Yeah. And it's going to be tough. Even if, and even if you could pull it off, it's going to be tough to monetize something that's, you know, there's obviously different things state to state or whatever. And you're all of a sudden going to be providing potentially, I mean, exactly. It did. It never really went further uh, in terms of there being like, how would you actually tap into this power if you could actually create it? You need some sort of receivers. Right. But yeah, I'm curious though, about what, what are the principles that he had in mind that don't actually line up with our understanding of physics? Uh, the biggest one is in order for this to work, it requires some sort of, I'm going to call it magic, because essentially until we figure out some science to make it work, it's magic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, some sort of magic wave that was capable of traveling faster than light. He called them Tesla waves. Uh, oh. Not uh, not arrogant at all, right? <laughs> uh, but essentially, these things would build up to be faster than the speed of light, and then they'd come back down. Well, right now, as the physics as we understand it, uh, you can't surpass the speed of light, right? There are some people have ideas like tachyons that might exist at speeds above the speed of light. We've never proven that those exist. We have no reason to think that they do. But we okay. do know that you can't slow down or speed up past the speed of light. So that's essentially it requires something that currently can't exist in our understanding of physics. Right. Hmm. Yeah. That's, that's very Sorry, interesting. Did I, did a I lot burst of... your bubble? <laughs> no, not at all. No, definitely not. No, I'm just, if anything, that just intrigues me further because mm-hmm. we've come across quite a few ideas that definitely, yeah, dive into that sort of magical realm um that we've referred to or even just um more of a philosophical realm i definitely came across some sort of eastern philosophy those sorts of ideas that Mm -hmm. tesla kind of started to incorporate into his sort of um vernacular later on Mm -hmm, Uh, but again like when we were initially when we came across this idea and the world wireless concept and this sort of notion that tesla had that basically energy is everywhere and that we just have to tap into it, just have to harness it. Mm-hmm. And the idea that there is some sort of centrality to it. 
mm-hmm. and the idea, that, like it, 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 all of it very much reminded me of Ed Leeds Galden. I'm not sure how familiar you are, Chris, with Ed and Coral very Castle. Little. I mean, I know very, who he is. Little. I know some of his ideas with perpetual motion and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that, but that's mm-hmm. about it. Right. So well, kinda... it definitely, it definitely struck us. Um, you know, like we, we, uh, we did an episode with, um, with, uh, Chris Cogswell and the mad scientist, uh, mm-hmm. podcast with him and Marie mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, he took a real hard scientist stance on mm-hmm. on Ed and his ideas on the on the flywheel and stuff. But when right. we were looking at this, I mean, it definitely was a lot of crossover. The idea that he was trying to, um, yeah, tap into the Earth's magnetic grid and try to harness energies of the Earth. Um, there were also rumors that he had actually met Nikola Tesla. Yeah. Um, we looked into that back when we were researching for that episode, mm-hmm. and we couldn't find anything conclusive. And I'm pretty sure that's the. Uh, that's the result that most people have had looking into that. But there, there are the stories out there that those two had met. And immediately when I mentioned that, Amber's like, well, why, well, why would they have ever met? Why would would he entertain uh, someone like Ed? Exactly. And the only explanation I had for that possibly was just the fact that Ed was European and he had interesting connections in Europe, a very kind of shady background over there, knew a lot of interesting, strange people. And that is a very vague, vague, vague. Very well, vague. I mean, there but, is something there. As Tesla got older and he became uh, more ill, he's actually pretty dependent upon, not dependent, but I guess uh, easily swayed by conversation with his nephew who lived over in Yugoslavia, mm-hmm. uh, who had connections to all those kind of shit, like arms dealers, German propagandists, uh, communist leaders, like... Uh, right. I mean, I, we'll, we'll probably talk a little bit later about that. But so, I mean, there is a potential connection there. So one thing mm-hmm. that I, I wanted to point out, kind of a difference between the two ideas between uh, is one where Nikola Tesla was off was with the idea of the speed of light and nothing being able to go past that. And that's not really a concept that was really strong in the science community to begin with at that point. And not to mention that Tesla had a huge uh, disagreement with the way that Einstein framed relativity and how matter and energy worked. Whereas on the other side, with perpetual motion and that sort of stuff, uh, you have like conservation of energy and matter uh, that, I mean, the best you can have in a system because of that is how much you put in. But we know, and we knew well at that time, that you lose stuff through heat, through, you know, various other types of radiant uh, energy. So I, I would say that Nikola Tesla was on the cusp of an idea that was in the process of being proven wrong, whereas the other one was a concept that has already been proven wrong at that point where he lived. So I think that's an important distinction. Mm. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> Thank definitely. You. Yeah. definitely. We need no, those for sure. distinctions for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, distinctions? <laughs> I did not say that right. <laughs> uh, that's very interesting. Um, yeah. I just... There's <laughs> there's so much of this that kind of strays into I don't want to call it pseudoscience. I don't want to call it uh, It sort of crackpot is though, a little kinda, bit. No, it there definitely is. yeah, it definitely kind of bleeds into that for sure. Yeah. Especially like I when I was looking again into just to bring up that eastern philosophy and these ideas that Im- influenced him supposedly. Again, this is very Vague. Sure. There was a suggestion that Tesla had been introduced to this guy named Swami Vivekananda at a party um, held by Sarah Bernhardt, an actress back in the, I think it was in the 20s is kind of the rough estimate. Right. Yeah. And this guy who was supposedly, um, he was an Eastern Hindu spiritual leader. 
He's basically mm. credited with the modern uh, spiritual revival of India. And anyways, he apparently he had maybe an influence on this guy. Did, did you in your course of research, Chris, did you come across any of this at all or uh, nothing with that person specific? If it, they claim that it happened in the 20s around there, I'd be hesitant to believe that at that stage he was well into his being by himself, not out. But I mean, dates can easily be wrong if you put that maybe 15, 20 years earlier when he was at the height of his social. I mean, he met. Mark Twain, he met, I mean, a lot of people in these parties in that way. So that is a way that he was actively meeting people. Uh, so I wouldn't doubt it if it was maybe, you know, 10, 15 years earlier. In the you 20s, know, I, maybe not. I actually, sorry, I think I actually have that wrong. I feel like I was thinking of Ed. <laughs> oh. Ed was in the 20s. Actually, yeah. the, the letter that I had um, as a primary resource from this um, Shwarmi Vivekananda, I, I'm not saying that right. I feel like it's Vivekananda. That's it. Sorry. Yeah, Vivekananda. I'm missing a syllable again. Uh, if there's one thing I do he... consistently, it's mispronounce everybody's <laughs> words and names that aren't uh, American. So I <laughs> just have to accept it and move mm-hmm. along. <laughs> but apparently, the letter that he wrote, it was to a friend, was the exact wording in the article that I was looking at. But essentially, he said in this letter that was written in 1895. So sorry, this puts it quite a bit earlier. So oh, yeah. maybe in in a time frame that is plausible. And he was talking about how he had come across this figure and how he was going to meet him because he actually did like, a, I think it was a three-year tour of America, this uh, shawarmi guy, mm-hmm. in order to sort of spread his Eastern philosophy and fuse and stuff, popularize him a little bit. And uh, so this was 1895, he wrote a letter to a friend saying that he was determined to go and meet Nikola Tesla because he had heard that Tesla was able to, oh my gosh, what was the exact wording? He was able to reduce matter, matter, was it matter and energy? Or no, it was force and matter and how they were reducible to potential energy. Apparently he had written some sort of mathematical equation, but later on it was actually proven that he did not do that and he could not take any credit. And so Schwarmy, I don't know how, (laughs) yeah, uh, I don't know. The article went on to say how basically Einstein went and proved relatively later on, about 10, 15 years later or something like that. Well, the timeline there definitely matches up. In 95, he went to Colorado Springs in 99. So in 95, he's he's already done, I believe, the Chicago's World Fair. He's won the Battle of the Currents. He's probably in the midst of doing Niagara Falls. So he's in that time frame where he's really popular and he's going to these parties. So that part uh, matches up. I do kind of get the feeling, like, even now you'll get people that have a religious uh, or spiritual, maybe is a better word to put it, they like to look for science words that mm-hmm. uh, that are parallel to words that they use that might not necessarily mean the same thing. And so they'll take mm-hmm. scientific principles as a way to kind of prove their philosophies and whatever spirituality that they're doing. It really Perfect. sounds like he was kind of looking for that. Uh, <laughs> maybe yeah, he wasn't. Actually, I don't know. Does, but. Yeah. yeah, a little bit. It sounds like that a little bit. The, the thing that it, struck me yeah. with this was that there's so many quotes from Tesla that are, you know, it, it it makes him come across that he was very he was operating on a metaphysical level. You know, he was always talking right. about how he could basically tap back into his, the dreams he had had in the past and remember mm-hmm. them so vividly that he could recreate what he had seen and stuff like that. He was mm. he was almost like he had an what I guess maybe he wouldn't describe it like this, but like access to a third eye, something along those sure. lines, which is a very sort of Eastern philosophy. And then you know the one mm-hmm. quote we have down here below is like. 
from Tesla in relation to uh, Vivekananda. Mm-hmm. Everything is spinning. Everything is energy. Everywhere is energy. Mm-hmm. E- everywhere has a, as, is, is energy, energy. Yeah. which is just sort of a weird phrasing. Everywhere is energy. Well, I mean, that is a true statement. I mean, especially since we now take uh, relativity and what Einstein, the equation E equals MC squared, right? The fact that you can convert between mass and energy means that essentially everything is energy. So, I mean, that is right. It's not, it's not wrong. No, it's, no, no, it's not wrong. It's just that yeah. it's just conceptually when I hear everywhere is energy. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, where it necessarily is is tesla conceptualizing when he was trying to harness energy well, he was, you know what i mean he was all about like the ionosphere he's all about just right. tapping into just or he even had ideas about like how um oh my gosh not like antimatter but he had ideas about like ether and he actually started using supposedly he started using sanskrit words such as like akasha and prana which kind of loosely translate as energy and mass so that mm-hmm. kind of instantly clued as soon as you said chris like um these eastern leaders and, and more philosophical types of people will try and latch on to scientific notions and words as a way to sort of maybe help legitimize or make like make mainstream their right. views and things like that so that's interesting because it's almost like a reverse right where yeah. tesla may have been influenced more so by these views than vice versa or right. something like She's that. She's like a, a weird in-between space, I feel like. Well, there is there's kind of two parts to this. So first of all, I really think that you can come and look at things that he's written and things that he said, and you can very easily plop metaphysics on top of it. I mean, obviously, I mean, you just demonstrated how easy that is, you know, like you had a third eye. But one thing I would point to on how I, on why I don't think that he viewed it that way uh, is when he was a kid, he really talked a lot about his his ability to visualize, right, of mm-hmm. seeing these objects and being able to manipulate with them with his mind. And he had a theory that this was an actual physical, mechanical thing going on in his brain that he could develop a device to uh, to basically plug in and project those images on a wall. He didn't right. see them as magic or mystic, and uh, he actually very deliberately said, "I don't think these are these things. I think this, there's a science reason." And he spent a long time trying to develop that kind of in the background and that's one of those things that obviously never uh never came to be yeah Hmm. which is so unfortunate (laughs) yeah i mean that'd be really cool maybe i don't know might be scary (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah yeah no kidding (laughs) just a little bit a little scary yeah well even his idea that um this energy that is supposedly populating the air these electrons and whatever you want i don't know how you want to visualize it or think about it but there was this one idea that if you tap into that right frequency you can do anything. You can split a building. You can split the earth. And that right. was like, that to me obviously lends itself to a lot of these sort of, uh, yeah. More... Crazy conspiracy Well, theories. he did do yeah. a lot of oscillation tests and stuff in his lab in New York. And there's actually a story that he tells you, you might've come across it about causing a mini localized earthquake yeah. Uh, yeah, from did. his lab, right? <laughs> I couldn't find any actual reference to that anywhere else, but stuff related to, you know, his memoirs or uh, his uh, biographies and stuff. So you'd think like an earthquake like that in New York, somebody somewhere, especially since suppose, supposedly the police department like responded. I think you'd yeah. find more evidence of that having happened, but you know, who knows? It's <laughs> yeah. 18, you know, nineties. I went through the newspaper archives uh, in New York from that era um, a little bit online, but I mean, there's just so much to sift through. And of course, you type in Tesla and a specific date, right. and there's a lot that comes up, but I couldn't find anything on the earthquake or any of the real kind of juicy conspiracy stuff. It was mostly just kind of uh, the articles you'd expect to be right. published for sure. But um, hmm. yeah, 
Where abouts are we here? I guess we've moving. We're, well, we're migrating I'm kind of towards moving into the harp. harp yeah, to be honest, because like yep. that kind of comes into like a, well, yeah, it's definitely related to what we've been talking about with the idea of harnessing energies of the atmosphere, yeah. ionosphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe Chris, you can give a little bit of background into harp. Oh, absolutely. So harp yeah. is the high frequency active uh, aerial or. Or, Oriole? How do you pronounce that? Research <laughs> <Who knows>? program. Aerial. <laughs> <laughs> the lights. The northern lights. Those things. Right. <laughs> uh, Aerial. Auroral. There we go. Active <laughs> oral research program. Uh, you, you thought I was just going to read that without any issues, didn't you? <laughs> uh, just, so, just set you up to fail, man. <laughs> HARP is, is a legitimate thing, and it was a legitimate secret program, legitimately run by multiple government agencies and, uh, you know, the DOD and, of course, DARPA, which is the sweet candy topping for all conspiracy theorists, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you mm-hmm. say the word DARPA, instantly their eyes just flash and the tinfoil hats come out. Uh, <laughs> but it's essentially, it was a research station to study uh, the uh, the ionospheric physics and radio science. And ha- coming from a background of dealing with telemetry and, and, and RF engineering and stuff, I can tell you this is legitimate. There are all sorts of things that happen uh, in the ionosphere that cause... Uh, different type of propagation issues, attenuation issues with the RF waves. And there was a lot of money put into understanding that so that we could properly communicate uh, across distances uh, without having to spend a crap ton of money on power. So, I mean, it was a legitimate place, and that's what they were doing. Uh, But, of course, I mean, I'm sure you guys can get into all of the other side of things there, the uh, conspiracy type (laughs) aspects. Yeah, there's definitely definitely some crazy ones. I mean, the first thing that's interesting is I believe that, like, Tesla conceptualized the ionosphere before it was actually, like, discovered, right? right? Is that correct? Uh, yeah, one of and, many, many things he discovered and didn't tell anybody about, really. <laughs> so I guess that's like the thing that I'm just trying to understand here is like, how, I mean, wh- how did he? <laughs> I mean, it's one thing to sort of invent a contraption that can sort of demonstrate that the potential to do something else. It's another thing to, you know, think that there's this, you know, invisible layer in our atmosphere. You know what I mean? Like, sure. it's just kind of bizarre. It's, it's, that's a, I don't know how to answer that question. I can tell you like what he did with it and his ideas about it, but I mean... Throughout history, you just have people, you know, that seem to be have an intuition for how things sort of work as a mm-hmm. broad overview, right? I mean, those are our major creators, uh, and I feel like most of them were in the past. I feel like we don't have a lot right now. I know, but, right? Uh, I think maybe it's just because there was more to discover back then, so it was easier to do it. But I mean, when you look at <laughs> yeah, like, people like like Da Vinci, I mean, he just the things that he came up with, you know, that didn't come around for centuries after you know he first thought of them. Right. Uh, so how how did he come up with it? I don't know, uh, but he did, and uh, lots of other things, enough things that we have proof of that I don't doubt any of the stuff that he says. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how did he actually go about interacting with it then? Well, the thing with HARP and how Tesla's really to HARP is actually uh, it comes from the idea of one of the other kind of things that we probably get into his death ray slash peace ray. Uh, people were pretty <laughs> sure that of the items that were confiscated after his death was this working death ray and uh, also one that they potentially stole from the Nazis. There's like, you know how conspiracy theories are. They kind of get interwoven. Uh, yeah. So essentially the idea was that they were using that as a way to uh, control the weather, cause uh, natural disasters, uh, shoot down airplanes, you know, I mean, you name it. There's even mind control uh, mm, theories yeah. that have come mm-hmm. out of there. 
I mean... Oh, yeah. And the idea that hums are created that mm-hmm. have all sorts of nefarious... Uh, functions and things like that yeah uh, yeah I, yeah it's very it's very interesting how uh how in depth some people get even like the idea yeah that you can cause like earthquakes yeah and stuff right. like that for me i was like um what about plate tectonics <laughs> like, right. I, I, I feel like that's like <laughs> I, I can tell you <laughs> yeah if you want to start causing earthquakes you're probably going to have a far easier time shooting waves into the ground than into the ionosphere uh just oh yeah. before <laughs> we get too far into this too just for our listeners um at home could you like briefly define what ionosphere is right that's probably a good idea yeah we, uh, we so essentially it's the atmosphere is split into different layers uh predominantly by temperature and what's going on in that area so our as you go up in the atmosphere your temperature decreases right Mm -hmm. Uh, and then at some point your temperature actually starts to increase uh, okay it decreases again and it just has to do with uh, you put me on the spot i don't have the exact definition oh that's okay no no that's uh, that's kind of the general idea you've got different uh they kind of split them in by the way that that things interact within the atmosphere and the biggest way to do it is by pressure and temperature to tell the difference between the layers okay i'm trying to like briefly jog my memory i feel like it goes is okay is the biosphere is that the atmosphere and ionosphere together or is the biosphere the bottom layer and then it goes atmosphere and then ionosphere i feel like there's like layerings going on but i could be totally totally wrong so you know the biosphere isn't really a it's not a atmospheric term per se in the same way that the troposphere and the ionosphere and the metasphere are. Troposphere. That's the one I was forgetting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so there you go. Biosphere is kind of like uh, uh, ecology as far okay. as... All know, of living things. Yeah. That's kind of like their where realm. The living things work and different types of living things. So I have no idea why this is going to sound totally random, but for some reason the word biosphere is making me think of Pauly Shore. Wasn't there a movie <laughs> was, with a, Yes, there was. <laughs> was there? I've never seen it, but oh I just God. have heard of it. That's a thing. Yeah, okay. yeah it's a real thing. And next it was, next uh, week's episode. It was a cute movie at the time. It did not hold well. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, I'm not surprised, let's be honest. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's Polly Shore. Polly Shore doesn't hold well. <laughs> no, no, no Academy Awards for poor Polly. I don't think. Yeah. Anyways, but sorry, that was so. Okay, off. so we just got a little off track. Well, off track. We're on the track. We're somewhere it's along the way there. I mean, so we're we making a road track. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is okay. Like, I don't even know when. When did these start originating? It probably would have been obviously after Tesla's death. I'm assuming. Well, Project Heart only began in the 1990s, right? Right. So this is a fairly recent. Yeah, it seems like such a long time after the fact. Well, there's actually a reason for that, and I don't know if it's going to be jumping ahead, but I can talk to that if you'd like. Go for it. Go for it. So we can kind of talk. We can jump into the whole issue with the files, right? The secret (sighs) files that seem to be the basis for pretty much every Tesla conspiracy theory. Uh, mm-hmm. to ever exist so what happened is uh he died obviously and the government legitimately came in and legitimately took his crap mm-hmm. uh and they did it under the what is it the alien consolidation or foreign alien consolidation act something along those lines something essentially, like that sounds familiar this was a legitimate thing that existed during world war one and world war two and its purpose was to hold any patents, any land, anything at all that could be of value to the United States that was held 
by enemies of the state or allies of enemies of the state. So why this seems so weird to people is that Tesla had been a citizen for 30 or 40 years at this point of the United yeah. States. He, people didn't understand. What people don't understand is that there was a legitimate reason for the government to do this, right? He had been soliciting the U.S. government about uh, weapons of mass destruction, and when they turned him down, he was soliciting allied uh, European countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was making claims of, you know, death rays. And he had his nephew who was really tight in with these arms dealers and these communist leaders who convinced Tesla to write a letter to the leader of the communist party in that area in support of a reunification of, uh, of what was it? Uh, I don't know, two of the lands over there essentially. So, hmm. and then he met with like the uh, exiled king of Yugoslavia in New York. Like they had reason to watch him and to fear that mm-hmm. if he had something, it might actually fall into the hands of the Axis. That part was real. Uh, so they took his stuff, and essentially they looked over it to make sure that there wasn't anything really there. And then they mostly just dealt with who the proper person was to give it to. That is the majority of what they ended up doing with that material because lots of people wanted it. Uh, mm-hmm. And so they sent it, had everybody look over it and make sure there wasn't anything they could use for it. And essentially they gave it all back, uh, but maybe a handful of things that could possibly be dangerous uh, and it's over in a, uh, where is it? I can't remember the name of the country, but essentially a museum for Tesla. And that happened. Oh, in yeah. Yugoslavia. Uh, yeah. It? It's not Yugoslavia. Serbia. Serbia. It's oh, it Serbia? Belgrade. Yeah. I think. Oh, yeah. Museum Belgrade. In Belgrade. Uh, but, uh, and that kind of happened uh, in that time frame. And then also there was another museum here, I think, in the States. Uh, as late as 98, I believe it was, that had a bunch of his stuff. And they actually weren't making enough money, so they closed down. And they were Hmm. closed for a couple of weeks. And when the people came back to reclaim the stuff, all of that stuff was gone. And that happened in the late 90s uh, also. But, I mean, when you read into that, it is very obvious that one of the people that were running that museum went back and took their crap. They broke in and took the stuff. And I mean, it's only been, what, 20 years since then? I wouldn't admit to having that stuff right now. You know, keep that in the closet, you know, until you're really old or pass it down to your kids or whatever to where you're not going to get in trouble for it. I'm willing to bet in probably 15 years that stuff will show up out of somebody's, you know, estate sale or something. (laughs) Totally. Well, and the thing is, too, is who's to say how much more could show up that, you know, wasn't necessarily the stuff seized from the American government. Mm -hmm. We watched, uh, yeah, well, we watched documentary and a few other things where it was basically talking about how he moved i think it was four different hotels like there was mm-hmm. the regis there was the uh oh and who mean, knows the astoria the there astoria was yeah. and he like left he left boxes of his papers and yeah. journals as right. security for the his lack of payment because he was yep. basically yeah he's like i'll come back and pay when i can right and, <laughs> and when they did and when he didn't they would get rid of it a lot of you this know. stuff was picked up by the government. It was already in storage. So the FBI mm-hmm. had an actual dossier on, on him for these legitimate reasons. But, like, it is almost 100% declassified right now. You can go read it. It's interesting, but it's not mysterious. <laughs> right. Mm. So there's really only a handful of stuff that kind of disappeared when they gave back uh, his stuff to his relatives uh, in Bel- in Belgrade and in- Yugoslavia. So there's, like, people act like his entire wealth of knowledge is gone there's like a handful of stuff we know Mm -hmm. the government had it and we know they didn't give it back right that's about it (laughs) there's some uh there's a few things we came across in regards to his nephew 
mm-hmm. that before he passed away that, you know, they were obviously in contact and he was being monitored, but that there was a, there was a possibility that he had transcribed things or had passed things along to his nephew, um, you know, before any of his assets had been seized or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course we don't know. There's no way, there's no way for us to know. I mean, I, I think it's totally plausible, you know, if he was yeah. feeling mm-hmm. in his old age, maybe, you know, he's, yeah, he, he has a half decent relationship with his nephew. He's kind of getting a little bit senile and maybe a little right. bit paranoid potentially, you know, I don't know. Well, I, the interesting, another sort of counter argument to that is the fact that his nephew, after Tethel's death, his nephew, who was, yeah, like a Yugoslavian official of some sort, mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. he went, he raced down to his uncle's apartment in order to sort of claim these papers and claim right. his work. And it had already been ransacked yeah. and everything. So I don't know. I feel like he wouldn't have been in as big of a rush if he already had what he wanted, so to speak. And then he was making all these claims. Well, so. I mean, yeah, well, maybe yeah. only or maybe part, it's part of what he wanted, right? It's or hard maybe. to tell. I think his nephew was legitimately either a quote-unquote bad guy as far as the states were concerned at that time or at least in direct contact with bad guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I don't think that that's too much. But the only thing that makes me kind of hesitant on that is because that is kind of – it ties into a basis of of one of the really big and, and in my eyes, ridiculous conspiracy theories in relation to his death and Nazis. I don't know if you guys came across that one. No, Ooh, you need to. Yeah, we need to get into that. Yeah, we might as well. Let's let's do it. All right. So essentially, there's a conspiracy theory that's actually a rather recent one comparatively to the rest of them that Tesla didn't actually die of natural causes. He was murdered by Nazis. Uh, <laughs> OK. And so this uh, there is a guy, of course, who, who has a YouTube video to help you understand how he's right. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure well, it's, just, it's, it's great. <laughs> It It'll all starts <laughs> uh, with a man who has an ex-girlfriend who has a dad who used to be <laughs> an, an SS commando uh, who was using living in the U.S. under the protection of uh, the CIA, uh, specifically the Scar Scarzeni, uh, I think it was his name. Again, okay. I think I can't pronounce. He is a known person that people like look into. Uh, but uh, first off the bat is this is about twenty years after that spy was supposedly. Uh, had died in Spain from cancer. So first of all, there's there's one conspiracy in this. Uh, and then he claimed to have heard a full confession, uh, the guy that's telling the story, from this man about how he uh, suffocated Tesla after tricking him into revealing all the secrets. And then they took a lot of his goods and files and directly delivered it to Adolf Hitler. So there's conspiracy two, uh, who is also, as of the late 90s, still alive as a rancher in Montana. <laughs> plausible well there you yes. go yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh my goodness oh. that's actually i don't even know where yeah. to start with that one right yeah, me, neither do i like you're just else. slowly digging the credibility hole uh <laughs> yeah like, no kidding you know it starts off like a, yeah i could believe that but do you remember the channel on youtube that was on uh, I don't, but I'm sure yeah. if you just Google uh, Nazis killed Tesla, it will come up. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm thinking it definitely sounds like a channel that we've kind of come across a few times. And we did watch a Tesla doc. I say that in big air quotes <laughs> yeah. uh, from this channel called Universe Inside You. Mm-hmm. And very interesting. They use like the computer generated female voice to kind of tell the whole story, mm-hmm. which I'm thinking like, what do you have to hide? What, who's, <laughs> what's your actual voice? Are you mute or something? Anyways, whatever. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, no, they were talking about how, again, yeah, diving into some crazy stuff, um, making a lot of uh, unsubstantiated claims, I would say, because we never came across on any other articles or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was this one story that was particularly revealing, and it goes back to the Tesla papers, and it actually um, happens to be a Men in Black incident, which oh, was right. very, very curious. Um, what was his name again? I think his name was Afri. Afri. The guy. And I'm not sure what his exact circumstance was. I think he was some sort of property or storage maintenance owner or something. And he had supposedly a box or a couple boxes of Tesla's papers. Yeah. Things like that. And he, the story goes, <laughs> story goes that this guy was just way too busy for about 20 years. So he put the papers in storage. <laughs> um, yeah. And then when he went back to them 20 years later, they were badly like mildewed and moldy and starting to fade and all this stuff. And he was like, Oh my goodness. Like, you know, having a personal crisis. And he sat down to basically do his life's work and translate these papers or not translate. Sorry. Just, um, transcribe transcribe. what was left of them. Exactly. And, uh, it took him quite a number of years. I feel like it was at least a 10 to 15 year time frame, but the video was kind of vague. So Mm -hmm. who knows? And basically what they were implying was that this man was in the midst of discovering Tesla's biggest secrets. And he was uncovering all this really awesome um, philosophy and all these things that could basically answer the world's problems. Do you remember any off the top of your head, Andrew? It kind of escapes me now. But again, a lot of this high in the sky kind of notions, um, things to do with free energy and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And and then he got, uh, he put out a call right that was it he put out um like an ad or something or some sort of yeah no so what thing. it was it was like okay so like originally or no, it wasn't he, internet so it was like in this this was 70s, 78 80s, yeah. it was 78 okay um yeah he put out he he phoned around and like put out just like he tried to contact people who may also have similar papers mm-hmm. so like he tried to get a hold of people in europe supposedly things like that Mm-hmm. Um, I think the story went like originally he looked at the papers. He thought it was looking at science fiction. He didn't realize who Tesla was mm. supposedly in the story and then supposedly. put it away and then figured it out years later. So I anyway, he's trying to find more pieces to the puzzle. And of course somebody else catches wind of this. And sure enough, he gets a knock on his door from three strange men with all wearing the exact same black suit, black hats with very awkwardly tanned skin as if they mm-hmm. had fake bronzer on um, speaking all about the monotone, same, all about the same height yep. and weight, mm-hmm. uh, they're wearing the it. papers. Exactly. But the weird part was that he was actually on the phone moments before talking about the papers with someone, an anonymous person. Right. And then as he's on the phone, the phone dies and then he gets a knock at the door, goes to answer the door. The men are already inside his house. Yeah. And they say, yeah. hey spooky. There, I mean, spooky story. We, you know what we're here for. And they're yeah. kind of just uh, trying to intimidate <laughs> him. And then he goes after they leave. They say basically like, well, we're going to get what we want. And it doesn't matter what you say or do. It's just a matter of time. And then uh, essentially they leave. And then he goes to go back to work to the papers. They're gone. Right. Everything's mm-hmm. gone. Right. His, his entire, like his computer is wiped. So yeah. he doesn't have anything. Do you remember what year this was roughly? It That's, was supposed to be 78, what? I think. How would he have a computer? No, it had to be later. Or like sorry, the, the original, yeah, sorry, the original instance was 78, and this would have been early 90s, I guess. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You mean when he started translating the papers? That's I 78? Guess. I don't know. I never came across the year 78. We'll have to go rewatch the video, I guess. I guess. <laughs> I'm just, I was asking because it's really hard when you're dealing with, especially like men in black conspiracy theory, because there's like a cookie cutter men in black thing that you can apply to really anything, right? Oh, I've mm-hmm. got Definitely. this thing. I know this thing that happened, and I could show it to you, except for the men in black took it. 
Exactly. Right. Yeah. And and totally. I asked because there was a something that I came across that I'm not sure if it's maybe a slightly different version of that or maybe something completely different. It was related to uh, Tesla's supposed communication with aliens. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this came from uh, a biographer who claims to have had access to a person who had access to papers and read them a long time ago and then remembered reading uh, these things about aliens before the men in black took them. Uh, <laughs> it, it was all essentially based off of uh, Tesla suggested the possibility of being able, I think his words were beckoning Martians, uh, was kind of an extreme application of his propagation of electric waves, his RF stuff. That's why he wanted to do it. And of course, this is way back before we knew absolutely that there was no alien life on Mars that was at least intelligent and mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. about doing stuff. And he had legitimately recorded like unusual signals uh, that he wasn't sure what they were. He felt that there was a pattern to him. He kind of thought that there might be some intelligence behind it, like they were trying to communicate. But, you know, as is the nature of Tesla, he got busy with other things and kind of put that off. But So that's kind of where the base is, oh, people take this, oh, he was definitely communicating with aliens. But one of the things that I kind of threw out there as kind of a, well, he probably was hearing these things, but we had another instance of that, uh, you know, the LGM, Little Green Men. Are you familiar with that story? No. Uh, not related to Tesla. No. Essentially, it wasn't very long ago where we were receiving uh, regular exact uh, signals that were like right on time. Like it had to be intelligence, right? It had to be. You right. just don't find that level of regularity in nature right? Uh, until we realize that you do. It's called a pulsar star. Uh, <laughs> so that's gotcha. what they're listening to. So, I mean, I, I people are pretty sure that he was just listening to background noise or whatever else because it's not like there was a lot of knowledge at that time to compare to, right? Yeah, that's yeah. very true. I mean, it's it's so interesting that he wrote a letter to the, I mean, supposedly wrote a letter when he experienced that, you know what I mean? Like to be mm-hmm. like, I, you know, I, I, what was, I think his, his message was that I, I've received uh, communication from, you know, from outer space or whatever. And the message reads one, two, three. Right. Um, <laughs> very, you know, not a very uh, detailed message. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but uh but I did find it interesting how he made a point of saying that, like, oh, I'm very used to, um, you know, other types of frequencies and, like, disturbances with my equipment. Like, you know, dealing right. with sort of radio waves and different things from space, so to speak. He's just such an eccentric dude that you can't – it's so hard to make heads or tails of whether or not – yeah, if it was, he just, was this just a one-off that he was just embellishing for no reason? It seems mm-hmm. bizarre that he would do that because he doesn't seem like that type of guy half the time. And then the other half of the time, he's naming – naming speeds of light after himself, you know, things that are right. faster than the speed of light after himself. So it's kind of this weird juxtaposition, I feel like. Hmm. So I'm not sure what to make of the extraterrestrials thing. What do you think, Amber? I'm on the fence with this one. Like, definitely, I feel like he might have had the perception that he had been contacted in some way or form. Again, though, yeah, like, this is such a primitive time for this type of technology and things. Like, I feel like it would be very easily to misinterpret something like that especially if it's one two three i found the quote here if you want me to read it go for it says so tesla supposedly said okay so the changes i noted were taking place periodically and with such a clear suggestion of number and order that they were not traceable to any cause uh then known to me i was familiar of course with such electrical disturbances as produced by the sun aurora borealis and earth currents and i was as sure as i could be of any fact that these variations were due to none of these causes Mm -hmm. end Mm -hmm. quote Maybe it, was, maybe it was a pulsar star. Maybe it was. All right. I mean, that really is like a description of how they define, like when they're listening to the pulsar stars, too regular. Right. It was like a code, you know, very uh, 
uh, systematic, you know, and mm-hmm. so the and he says of nothing known to me. This exactly. is you know early 1900s. There's a lot that's not known to him at this stage, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I think you're right yeah. with his his the way that he speaks. There's so much that he legitimately came up with that people looked at him at that time and like, wow, you're a crackpot. Uh, and then he made it work, or then he put it away, and somebody else made it work in 10 or 20 or 100 years. I mean, he predicted smartphones, like he predicted them to the T. So. Did he? No <laughs> Oh yeah, he made wow. a big uh, a quote or a prediction about how eventually we would have uh, transmitters or transceivers that were lightweight, about the size of a watch, that you could use to listen live to any concert or important event going on anywhere in the world. Well, wow. there you go. What is that, right? That's that's yeah. the smartphone. No doubt. That's and so. I feel like that, and, and that's yeah, like his prediction of that. I feel like kind of blends with the his almost well with the extraterrestrial thing too because he he wanted some sort of advanced communication right whether it was on the earth between amongst humans or or elsewhere however i had another quote here it was from a new york times article where he was interviewed when he was 75 and he said that i think that nothing can be more important than interplanetary communication it will certainly come someday and the, cert, uh, the certitude that there are other human beings in the universe working, suffering, struggling like ourselves will produce a magic effect on mankind and will form the foundation of a universal brotherhood that will last as long as humanity itself. Boom. There I you mean, go. Knowledge bombs. Yeah. I, I, I just, I want, I want Tesla to be right about almost everything. You know what I mean? Like, just make him the Nostradamus of our time, please. I, yeah, <laughs> totally. I mean, Nostradamus was just a dick predicting terrible things. How about predict some good stuff? Yes. You know Terribly what I'm as broadly and generically as possible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's going to be a flood sometime in the next yeah. 300 years. Two entities are going to fight over yeah. a thing. <laughs> good stuff, oh, man. man. Good stuff. But ultimately, really, though, like... Whether it's intelligence or not, a pulsar star communicating with Tesla is still extraterrestrial in origin. So he's not <laughs> it is a thing that is not on Earth. You're right. <laughs> yeah, very, very true. Okay, wait, Chris, can you just quickly just describe what a pulsar star is? So if I remember properly from my undergrad, uh, a pulsar is essentially uh, a star that is spinning super, super fast. Uh, and it's spitting out radiation on an axis, and that axis is spinning. Oh. And because it's moving so fast and it has so much energy within a human lifetime or even several human lifetimes, it's essentially a perfect clock. Now, over the mm-hmm. life of the star, it's going to eventually slow down, but uh, we're mm-hmm. not going to be here. So uh, we oftentimes use those to set like our national clocks by. And, and stuff like that. So they're actually oh, they're crazy. pretty interesting little astronomical bodies. Yeah. Cool. Very oh, cool. Yeah. Hmm. So I'm going to bring us back a tiny bit here because we've kind of been jumping all over and just I'm out of necessity because talking about all this stuff, we, we're, you know, you're going to dip your toes into death rays sure. and all this stuff, right? But I'm going to come back to the death ray because <laughs> we, we kind of touched on it a little bit and then migrated into the lost journals. And of course, like this is why everybody wanted his work. He was supposedly right. creating these absolutely mind-blowing inventions and i believe honestly this one has to take the cake i mean would you guys agree oh yeah oh yeah like i mean mean, the name alone i mean let's let's i mean some people called it a peace ray tesla was a peaceful guy but he he did call it the peace ray his intent with it was in order to create an impenetrable barrier of force that could prevent countries from fighting Right. right of course 
people kind of took that a different way, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, it's really easy with the way that he described his capabilities. He wasn't like hiding the fact that it could do these other things. He was just right. focusing on the nice things you could do with it. Right. <laughs> and so basically just to, I mean, the, the gist that I get from it, just so, so people listening can have a visualization is essentially the it, picture, the use of essentially like a lightning bolt as an anti-aircraft missile, mm-hmm. more or less. Is that sort of the idea? So essentially, uh, may, may, I don't know. It's hard. Let, let me explain to you what it what it is in principle, and you tell me if you still think that that, that description fits. So okay. essentially, it's a particle beam, right? So it's right. got a, a what's it called a Van de Graaff uh, generator accelerator, mm-hmm. uh, which is very very small uh, metallic metallic particles that it accelerates super fast, right? Uh, and essentially, in that way, it's just kind of like a kinetic weapon. You're just slamming these very small particles at super high speeds. And right. we know that force is mass times acceleration. So if you got that acceleration up super, super high, uh, you've got a dangerous weapon, right? Right. So <laughs> that's essentially the idea. What I find interesting about the death ray is this kind of comes in the last area of his life where... I feel like we start to lose our ability to trust what he says. There's a lot of things he mm-hmm. says. Like he says he built a functioning one of these, but nobody's seen it. Uh, he said he developed a, what he called a dynamic theory of gravity to contest Einstein's theory of gravity. Right. Uh, he said he wrote it all out, but of course nobody's seen it. Hmm. So, you know, I don't know. Kind of uh, grasping at straws there a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing that I, I mean, if, if he was maybe working on it way back and then he's like, you know, in his twilight years, kind of just, you know, talking about it, so to speak, because he did kind of jump around from invention to invention. Sure. That's the only thing that would make sense to me. And he, he lost a lot of work too in his, in his lab fire too, that he had to recreate after, I mean, he had to take a break from it and do the stuff with Niagara Falls and whatever. And then he came back to it. So maybe it's something he designed earlier and, and in his old age had time to actually put it together. Or maybe it just became more and more relevant because of world relations, because of World War One, and then the looming World War Two, and the rise of extremist philosophy, popularist philosophies, that type of thing. Yeah, and he uh, just saw it as a way of. But that's just it, though. It's like that's something that somebody who wants to remain relevant would say. Right. And yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I never knew the guy. It's just, but I feel like of all the historical figures we've looked into so far in this show, he's a really hard one to pin down personality-wise. Yeah. It's because it I, changes so much, you know? Yeah, and, and you can't, yeah. yeah. You don't know that this wasn't, he's in his 70s, maybe it's dementia and it was a lamp. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you don't know. <laughs> no, totally. Especially because of the amount of time he spent alone too, right? Mm-hmm. Like literally pigeons were his only friend. Like you yeah. have to yeah. imagine what kind of, uh, I don't even know. Yeah, what he that was bringing birds home to, to nurse them back to health, injured yeah. pigeons and things like that. You know, that. that in itself is such a contradiction of personality which fits Tesla that you wouldn't think anybody else because he yeah. was so OCD, such a germaphobe, <laughs> letting pigeons crawl all over him. <laughs> yeah, I actually yeah, heard no one kidding. thing where he literally, he, you would never touch hair. He hated yep. hair. He yeah. Knew, it, like, it was just like, I don't know. I felt like he was almost... Um, Oh my gosh, it's totally escaped me. <laughs> Howard Hughes. It was almost like a Howard Hughes where he's like constantly right. wearing gloves uh, or something. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Similar. Maybe Except- that just level of intelligence has its uh, you know, your sacrifices. You uh <laughs> you've got something going on with you that makes you think that way, but you can't really function in society for very long on your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Such an enigma. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yep. So in terms of the death ray, um, the only kind of uh 
real conspiracy theory other than the missing papers that I could potentially link to it, which is just such a reach. I don't buy it at all, but I thought it was super fascinating, and I'm sure you've heard of it. This was the uh, Tunguska event, mm-hmm. the massive explosion in uh, over top of the Taiga Forest in remote Siberia. And, of course, there's basically nothing to link this to Tesla, of you know, right. for all intents and purposes, other than the time frame and um, <laughs> and his crazy ideas, which is right. where a lot of this kind of goes. It's basically like, hey, Tesla's around. He's got crazy ideas. This timeline works out. This happened. There's a triangle here. It all has to be related somehow. You know what right. I mean? I feel like for some of this stuff... It, there's a possibility it does. But anyway, this is how it basically shook down for people who don't know, shook down, pun intended. 1908, <laughs> a massive explosion from an unknown source ripped through the air over top of a remote, remote part of the Siberian taiga forest. Um, the conspiracy theory has been suggested that this had something to do with Tesla's death ray. I, at first mm-hmm. I was like, okay, why? Like, <laughs> how? <laughs> like, what? Like, he's just shooting this death ray out into remote Siberia, you know, like I I don't really understand. So I looked into it a little bit further. And of course he supposedly was following the exploits of a guy named Admiral Robert Perry, who was Mm -hmm. this explorer. Um, He was trying to reach the North pole at the time. And supposedly Tesla wanted to make a statement about what he was doing because I think this was around the same time that he had lost funding, some funding, Mm. Um, I mean, it happened plenty of times. JP probably, right? <laughs> yeah, probably might have been JP Morgan. I can't mm. remember who exactly it was or if it was Warden Clef. Oh. Or is that the other one? Or no, what was the, was the, the elect- power company yeah. called again? It was... Um, oh, I can't remember. Oh, anyway, he was supposedly following the exploits of this dude, though, and he wanted... He made some remarks, supposedly cryptic remarks, that he wanted to basically show him what he could do, that he could basically, mm-hmm. like... Yeah, anyway, he wanted to... Like a display of some sort? Yeah, he wanted to display, yeah. Hmm. And so supposedly this just went drastically wrong. He wanted to send a pulse of his death ray over the North Pole. And clearly, if didn't have control, (laughs) (laughs) ended up crossing over the North Pole (laughs) over to the other side on a different continent. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that doesn't make sense about this to me was in like I feel like it had to have been so much more powerful. Like you're saying like oh he didn't have control over it, he didn't have this and that. But like the Tunguska event had such a such a unique um what do you even call it like a, a blow pattern like um yeah, the way like, that the explosion pattern and then the way that the trees in the very center of the explosion were standing and then everything else was just like blown out in like a radius around it. Pretty much. And they were kind of saying that in order for that to happen, you would have to have a massive object of some sort, not massive, like, you know, an object of some size, considerable size, mm-hmm. explode in the air to create right. that sort of effect. Hmm. Because that, that was one of the main mysteries behind the Tunguska event was, right. was these standing trees. They were like, why is this here? Like, because yeah. they never seen anything like that. Obviously, this is pre-atomic era. Right, right. So my best guess is meteor yeah sort of. that's what most people i mean it's it's just it's it's, it's inconclusive that's still to this day to, not to me, really it's like a singular particle beam i feel like wouldn't be able to create no. that sort of a pattern no maybe okay. of 
Unless it hit something large in the air and caused the explosion. Some sort of a reaction or something. Because I'm trying to imagine, like, if this particle beam thing was deployed, would it literally just, like, blow something into smithereens? Would it just, like, um, project it far away? Like, what would would you say, Would it evaporate? (laughs) Well, yeah. Well, I think there's, there's several parts of this that I think that we can go to and look at and probably reasonably uh, disregard that theory, right? So mm-hmm. if you have the whole concept of the of this particle accelerator is that it's using acceleration to get your force, right? Mm-hmm. If you've got something with that much acceleration, uh, there's something we call escape velocity. And that's oh. the speed that you have to go to escape the gravitational pull of the Earth. So if you've got something that's powerful enough going accelerating that fast to cause that much devastation... I really don't think that beam's going to curve around the earth. I think it's just going to keep going, right? Yeah. That uh, makes sense. And the other side of it is is I think what happens with uh that event is I think the mystery surrounding it that existed when it happened kind of propagates forward through history uh faster and broader than the actual factual uh explanations for it. So when you see that we know from other examples that we have, even just in in Russia a few years ago, that meteorites explode in air a lot of the times when they have trapped vapors inside and they heat that fast. We know that that happens. And if you okay. if you are exploding in air like that, you have force that's going directly down that would probably knock uh, some branches off of trees, but it's not going to knock them down. Mm-hmm. And then everything else is a is a spherical you know, direction from that that mm-hmm. explosion point that's going to push outwards and knock all those trees. So no, taking what we know today, that is very, I mean, we, we can't say we know for a fact because nobody alive today was there to witness it, but we can mm-hmm. say it looks just like other instances we know where that, that occurred. Right. And I can tell you from my, my master's program where we talked about meteorites and asteroids it is taught as a factual thing that that was a meteorite air explosion so uh you know i mean for whatever that's worth i guess no No, that's really that's fascinating though like the idea that like yeah the gas inside of an object coming from space will just yeah at a certain point like it would have to be so perfect the timing hey like it's you know it's right about to strike and explodes like well, sure. what, what I mean, year was that but, when there was that modern um, Russian example? It was just like a couple of years ago, wasn't I it? I want like, to say it was 2013. Yeah, maybe? I was going to say that too. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's right. <laughs> but, you know, if that if that particular object was slightly larger, you wouldn't have an issue of people going to the hospital because glass broke. You would have major, major uh, destruction in that area. Just a few, you know, like one extra kiloton. Uh, a crazy right there and it it would have been a devastation that's insane so it's probably super lucky that that like the tunguska explosion happened in such a remote area (laughs) yeah that's pretty incredible imagine if it happened over new york city or something or you know like then then tesla definitely would have been blamed for it (laughs) oh yeah i think that would probably be more uh more to link into it (laughs) yeah Yeah, that's a oh, fascinating man. one, though. That's too funny. Yeah, no, that one was, like, so far out there. Like, it really I, was. I didn't buy it at all, but it's no. just, it's, it's inter- it was an interesting that's so funny. Well, you when you look it back right on the there. past, right, it's easy to connect dots when you're looking mm. in Absolutely. hindsight. So. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, for sure. 
So I feel like we're sort of we're sort of coming coming down to the end here. We've well, gone through a lot of the crazy we stuff. Have. I, mean, I definitely feel like like Chris. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you came across? Yeah. in your research. Um. Well, there was a couple of stuff that I kind of put down that because uh, we kind of were, were originally going to go from non crazy to crazy. So I was kind of mentioned some of the crazy ideas that he legitimately had, uh, but either didn't continue with or didn't build or use it for other things. Uh, one of them was the intercontinental tube from Europe to America. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wanted to build a tube from Europe to America, and I think at the end he was like, "Oh yeah, and we can totally use it to like deliver mail and stuff." But I think it was totally <laughs> just, "Can I do this?" <laughs> so he literally wanted to have like a tube, like from Futurama, or like Jetsons, yeah, get just going around, through the water. Like, yeah, it's not a bad idea. I think That's what cool. he was looking for a reason to use because at the time he was developing his bladeless turbine. Uh, and I think he was looking for like a function for that. So I was like, oh, what if we put a tube in the water and pressurize it and send packages back and forth? Yeah, that's totally it. <laughs> uh, packages. So nothing came of that, though. No, no, all. no. I mean, we, as far as I know, we don't have one. So <laughs> no, I mean, we see, oh, you see it in the mail rooms now. That's right. it. Just the shoot, why yeah. is my package wet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think the other cool one that obviously didn't get built was uh, the giant ring around the Earth. I'm right. not really sure how this came about. I've read that he was using it to develop the mathematics for his rotating magnetic uh, fields for his AC uh, generator. But essentially, he had this idea that you just build, you get your scaffolding, you build up, and you build a ring around the Earth, and you tear down the scaffolding, and then this ring will just float there spinning with the Earth. And Whoa, then, you know, it's just like the other one, he's like, oh, and we can totally use that for high-speed transport or something. <laughs> oh, Oh, but interesting! That crazy reminds me, ideas. Like, was he trying to recreate what he saw in the in space? Maybe like with other. I, I don't oh, know. What's the planet? Is it Jupiter that has all the rings? Yeah, Jupiter. Well, no, not Jupiter. It's uh, Saturn. Saturn. And, Saturn. And, sorry. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you made me say yes for a second. I'm like, wait, no, it's not Jupiter. What are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> you said it with such confidence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're That's not. That's cool. Uh, I like that. It's so funny because we were actually just watching uh, Interstellar last night. Yeah. And so there was a lot of that kind of crazy. Not, well, it was pretty out there. Hey, like, I feel like they're trying to demonstrate string theory to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you seen that, Chris? Oh, yeah. An actually uh, interesting note. It's done by the same guy who does Prestige. Yes. Yeah. yeah, That's actually why we rented it. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. But yeah, he ends up sort of in the fifth dimension in that movie. And uh, mm. I feel like... Um, There's a lot of time warping, a lot of weird... Yeah, yeah, I mean, hey, let's go back to the prestige here for a second. Because <laughs> because Tesla in that movie, basically, you know, they're sort of displaying some of the inventions that we've talked about and stuff like that. Mm. And, you know, there's the scene where they introduce him and he walks through um, oh, the electricity, so cool. right? He walks through his... Right. Uh, it was a Tesla ball. At the, yeah, or yeah. Tesla ball. Was it a bowl or? He had a bowl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, but it ends up being a, a replicator in right. the movie. Um, replicating matter. You know, he du- they, they're, they're duplicating Hugh Jackman. I mean, was that a conspiracy theory from the past that we didn't come across? Because we were watching that and basically being like, huh, I thought this you was going to be a teleporter. I think, uh. I think that's artistic license, and I know yeah, that I'd that say. movie comes from a <laughs> yeah. book, which I haven't read, so I'm not sure how much of that came from the book. So, oh, I see. I didn't know there was a book. I just seems so obs- obscure that it was like it wasn't just a teleporter. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like 
you're trying to the trick is supposed to be going from one place to another and sure. and there's our conspiracy theories that i mean we we haven't really touched on them because they were sort of just even more fringe than the death ray and these types of ones that we thought were awesome but that he did right. that he was working on those types of things that not directly but indirectly like through his experiments he'd sort of stumbled across these ideas that hey you know okay this is what matter is and maybe we can break it down and transport it somewhere else right can I uh, can I give a little shout out to another podcast I was just on uh, yesterday, real quick? Yeah, so go for it. the uh, St. Paul Filmcast I was actually on, and we were talking about uh, the prestige in relation to Tesla. So if you want an cool. in depth like thing on that topic, definitely go check that out. Yeah. One of the mm-hmm. things that I really that I I really love about the prestige is. And this is a spoiler, so if you haven't seen it, stop, go watch it, and then come back and finish this. But uh, (laughs) is this movie, at the end of the day, is really about this simple trick where this man was using a double like everybody said he was to begin with, Mm -hmm. right? But in Hugh Jackman's character's uh, flight to figure out how it worked, we find something magical and amazing right. that he develops to try and duplicate this thing that ended up just being a double. So I thought that was kind of an amazing uh, piece to that movie. That yeah. is really fascinating. Yeah. yeah. I, oh, I, I, I hated the end of that movie. I really, I was <laughs> siding with Hugh Jackman's character the entire time. And I was like, are you kidding me? He doesn't get his last laugh. He's freaking, yep. anyway, I'm not going to spoil the whole, but it's, it's an old movie. Turned when into did a that movie come out? Review like show here. 2006 or something. Right. But yeah. Something if you like haven't that. seen it by now, come on. Like, yeah. Come on. Come on. Yeah, no spoilers anymore, 2006. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day here, guys, I mean, what, what, uh, like, we'll start with you, Chris. I mean, what stands out to you as, let's, I'll phrase it this way. What stands out to you as maybe, I know you're the more scientific, rational mind, but what stands out to you as potentially maybe one of the things that we've talked about today or something having to do with Tesla that you think has potential in reality? Uh, well, you know, it's hard because Tesla was really great at creating things before his time. I mean, I talked about, I think before that, you know, many of his things that he kind of played around with and put aside, somebody else came 10, 20, 30, 50 years later and won a Nobel prize for, right? So he has this ability to just see these things that should be ridiculous to him at this stage. So I think... I think there's probably some merits to, I mean, his death ray, first of all. I mean, that the physics behind that I don't think are impossible, uh, maybe a toned-down version. Right. Uh, I mean, we have particle accelerators. We have that. We smash particles all the time. Um, how, you know, can you put that into a small compartmentalized gun form? Maybe someday in the future. I think that's probably, honestly the of the things that are conspiracy laced uh i think that's probably got the most merit to it yeah i would tend i think i would tend to agree mm-hmm. I mean, yeah what do you what do you think amber oh what was the question again <laughs> <laughs> well we can change the question too because you and i aren't really the science background but i mean yeah. like i don't know what stood out to you the most like what did you find most fascinating and and you know i just liked I don't know. I liked how he had all these weird sort of esoteric ideas about energy and about all these things like how, yeah, well, we've, just, we've covered it all in this. But for me, just the concepts of energy and how energy is everywhere, energy and matter are almost like interchangeable to a certain degree. And that the idea that humans themselves 
can act as conductors of energy mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. as, as generators and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And we saw yeah, the uh, visual example in The Prestige where he hands uh, Hugh Jackman's character the big light bulb and then goes to grab his hand and then the light bulb right. lights up right away. He's yeah. like, I don't know. I thought that was just, it's fascinating. Honestly, I'm going to be doing a little more research into Eastern philosophies. Uh-huh. <laughs> like yeah, that. maybe we'll do a follow-up. Yeah, perhaps, we'll do a perhaps. little bonus follow-up or something. Know. I don't know. Might do some more digging into the whole maybe alleged connections between him and Ed Leeds Galden. I just I love all that fringe stuff. So yeah, totally. <laughs> that definitely stood out to me. It was yeah. Cool. Yeah. What about you, Andrew? You know, yeah. I mean, for me, that the thing that stood out the most in researching at the very beginning was obviously the death ray, and I think I have to tend to agree with you, Chris. Like, it's the only thing for for me me not having a science background that. I can kind of wrap my head around like where I'm like, okay, you know, based on what you've said and what we've looked at, it's like, that kind of makes sense. But ultimately the thing that fascinates me with Tesla the most is the missing papers. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I'm not a, consp- how do I want to say I'm not a conspiracy theorist type person. Like we, we're obviously, we, 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 read a lot of conspiracy. we indulge, but like our show, we haven't really, this is kind of the first episode where we really discussed sort of conspiracy theories per se, although we're just sort of jumping around on a whole bunch of them and stuff, but... We're not preaching gospel or anything. We're just no. presenting them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Out of interest's sake. I just... I, I I want there to be more papers out there, I believe, right? <laughs> right? Like, Who's I, got them? If you I, got them in your family locked in a closet I, somewhere I, in the basement... I, I, just... I think that that's totally likely. It's, it's like anything. It's like anything, right? It's like we watch... We've made a few American Pickers references on this show. and mm-hmm. has nothing to do with Tesla, but it's totally like that. It's like somebody will be yeah, cleaning out their somewhere. house and you find a freaking... You know, you find a Pablo Picasso painting in your attic in Iowa. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it happens. Yeah, and right. it could be out there. I just really want it to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Luckily. there's there's kind of a tie-in with the Prestige. In the Prestige, they talk about magic. And they say, you come in there and you know it's an illusion. Mm-hmm. But until you know how it's done, your mind just goes wild. You come up with all these things that makes you yeah. believe. And when you actually find out how it's done, it's a disappointment. It's so mm-hmm. pedestrian. And I feel yeah. like as long as there's just one Tesla paper potentially out there, yeah. anything can be on it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. Love it. I'm like a kid on Christmas morning right I now. I actually <laughs> feel that. I honestly feel that way just thinking about it. Because <laughs> He's got this big smile on his face yeah, right now. Yeah, because it's like... <laughs> It's just, yeah, it's, oh, it's, it's just exciting fun. to think, right? It is. I just picture it just locked in some, like, not just in a U.S., you know, like, whatever, some secured archive, but potentially not just in the Tesla Museum over there in, in uh, Belgrade, but mm-hmm. right, 50 feet underground, that museum, in a secured facility, <laughs> <laughs> something else going on, I don't know. Right. Anyways, this has been a fun. This has been really fun. Yeah, this has been it. awesome. We will definitely, definitely have to do another episode with you, Chris. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I had a blast. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, before we kind of wrap things up here, can you just um, let our listeners know like where they can reach you and where to find you and all that jazz? Oh, absolutely. So I am in all of the places. You can check me out on Twitter at physicist Chris uh science.com uh facebook.com slash dash of science and chris at dash of science.com uh so if you've got questions you want to check out the show you can go to any of those places and you can find me beautiful awesome. and of course go back and check out those first three parts all about nikola tesla yeah because there's a lot of really cool stuff like i i probably listened to the well, the first two at least uh, at least probably like two three times just kind of get a good sense of the man yeah and, we uh 
You know? We were leaning on them for sure. Oh, for sure. <laughs> no, yeah. it's, a, it's a gold mine for, sure. for great. It, it's well, there's entertaining, just, There's so too. much to say, you know, and I, I had to fight to push it into. I originally wanted two parts, and I did, as I joke, three halves, and I could have done a fourth one easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. There's so much so much interest to that guy. And I kind of want to just real quick, uh, uh, well, never mind, I don't have it with me, but there is a book that's called <laughs> Tesla, The Wizard of Electrical Current, I believe it is. Okay. Uh, but I, read that book. It is an amazing book. It's put together well. It's got great illustrations and, Very cool. uh, and drawings. So Neat. Definitely going to check that out. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, we have to do a follow-up now. Ooh, <laughs> we've got a book to check in. We've got a book to look at. We've got... What else were we going to look at? We got stuff to look at. Oh, we've got tons. We're going <laughs> to. We'll be coming. <laughs> all right. Well, where can you, where, where, where can they, where can oh, everybody find us? Oh, they can reach us on all of our socials. So we are on our Instagram at Into the Portal Podcast. We've got Twitter at Into the Portal One. And my handle is AmberRay1992. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well, our Facebook group, we've got just Into the Portal Podcast. Search that up and you'll find us. We also, we've got a forum going as well. It's uh, pretty active. It's lots of fun. Yeah, it's super fun. People lots are. People, we like to throw it out there, like uh, as far as like suggestions, um, theories, just lots of fun stuff. So if you're into that and you want to come and interact, or we would love to have you. Yeah, absolutely. What and as I'm always, missing? like yeah, join, well, you can always oh. reach us at into the portal mailbox at gmail.com yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. And if you have any thoughts on this show, um, yeah, reach out to us on there or join the Facebook group, and you can let us know what you think of this episode or any other episodes. And we're actually kind of doing a little bit of a call out for ideas for um, not just next week's episode, but just episodes in general. So mm-hmm. feel free to um, leave us your ideas yes please listeners give us some submissions we want to hear from you so once again thank you so much for listening to this episode on the strangeness of nikola tesla Mm -hmm. and uh thanks again to chris and we will be back next week next week on into the portal